Long days and pleasant nights to you guys. This week's episode is Jessica Barstas. Uh, we have a really great conversation about her personal journey and um, how to define things and how to deal with other people thinking certain things and all this. And I don't really want to spoil it, uh, but... Basically, she's a super lovely and super interesting gal, and we have a really great chat. And, like, I'm going to just let the thing speak for itself. Enjoy. So, hey, do you like Jessica or Jess? Jess. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm all right, as, you know... As all right as I can be, as the situation is. No. Um, <laughs> so, um, I guess we'll just get started. Um, are you from the Boston area, or are you, where are you originally from? Yeah, um, I grew up on the North Shore of Massachusetts. All right. Uh, kind of like out near Gloucester. Manchester by the Sea, actually. As <laughs> people know that now, because there's a movie about us. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have not seen, but I've only heard horrible things about, so... Yeah, yeah. You know. It's a, li- a little mixed on that one, isn't it? Polarizing, a la 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 Land. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I grew up out there, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and um, yeah, I sort okay. of made my way into Boston, uh, like, very secondarily, because I started out going to school um, on Staten Island for art. And then I took okay. a year off and said, no, I'm going to do something useful with my life, like mm-hmm. musical theater. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like you do, like you do. Yeah. Um, what, what what led to that decision? Were you always artistically inclined growing up? or? Um, pretty much, yeah. I've always been, um, you know, never, never a math lady. Always like, a, you know, um, romance languages and art class and what have you kind of working um i when my parents uh split up i specifically made sure that my dad was going to go to a uh, district that had a good theater uh-huh. program in the school so i was <laughs> right. very you know proactive like, yeah, yeah, yeah fine you can do whatever you want to as long as i get what i want out of mm-hmm. this okay. um so yeah it's always sort of been <laughs> horrible oh wow that sounds so horrible um, no no it's very funny but uh but, uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, sort of, it's always been that way. Uh, okay. Definitely. Yeah. And do you, um, you do musical theater, so do you still, like, did you paint, or did you, what else do you do besides that? Um, I paint a little bit. Um, I mostly sketch and draw. I okay. was sort of, when I started to do art, I was actually mostly interested in potentially entering into comic book art. Okay. Um, you know, uh, and... Then I sort of started having all of these realizations of, like, creating that sort of stuff on a schedule doesn't really work for me. 
Okay. Um, and so I was having trouble, you know, delivering on most of most of the assignments <laughs> that I had to do because I was like, no, I'm not feeling artistically inclined today. I'm going to yeah. go run around in Central Park instead and yeah. see if I can get inspiration. And then, you know, no. two weeks later, the teacher is like, well, Where that's great, but I still need everything from the <laughs> semester. So if you could maybe get on that. Yeah, no, that makes... That makes sense. A lot of people don't realize that like doing art's a job, just like anything else. Like, yeah. you know, because they people do. Everyone has like moments of like, oh, I have an idea for a thing that I want to make, but to be able to churn that out consistently and of of consistent quality is difficult because everyone has days where they're just like, I don't want to go to work. Yeah, exactly. No matter what you do. Yeah, I mean, like I, you know. I essentially ended up majoring and rolling around on the floor and there were days that I didn't want to do that I don't want to do that you know, so it's, and it's like it's one of the easiest you know, well no I would not say that it's easy it's actually very difficult but mm-hmm. it is one of the easiest things to qualify as easy yeah like, you, you show up yeah That's, you do the thing you literally have to show up and, yeah. and do what you're supposed to do but mm-hmm. some days it's just not you know you're, you're just not behind it yeah so. uh, yeah that makes sense I mean I feel like even improv comedians are like oh god i just don't and when literally all you do is literally show up and then say whatever comes to the top of your mind and you're like oh today i have to go to work yeah it's like (laughs) yeah do you okay um colin mockery in his uh, book his introduction is to it is um man i don't like work that's why i'm an improv comedian and i'm like yeah yeah at least you're on his call good 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 um uh, and so you've just been out here the, the East Coast the entirety of your life? Uh, pretty much. I mean, uh, my mom moved to California a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I've done some stints out there, but not anything really serious. Like I, you know, we'll go out for a week, two weeks and sort of, you know, hang out. But I don't know. I mean, I respect the hell out of people who can live in California. Yeah. I find it really boring <laughs> um, just because it's... It, it's like, it's too pretty. Like, there's just too much <laughs> right about it. And I just, you know, I, I've i never found that, like, especially inspiring to be around. But it is nice to, like, take a breather from, you know, New York or Boston or mm-hmm. whatever. Not that Boston is especially gritty. It's certainly not. No, no. <laughs> it's always portrayed that way in movies. But it's like, I feel like we only yeah. have movies about Southie. Yeah, right? like, thank you, Mark Wahlberg. But, <laughs> no. Um, no, I mean, you know, there, there are parts of it that are not great, like Dorchester and, and what have you. But the majority mm-hmm. of the town is a pretty nice college town. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's really, it's, it's pretty and it's nice and the people are generally nice most of the time although you know we're credited for having terrible accents but other than that i mean i feel like depending on where you go everywhere has any credited for terrible accents you know what i mean yeah like i mean the south has the same problem Mm -hmm. or like the the bronx has the same problem Mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah even like uh from minnesota you get that you know or hot dish sort of accent people make fun of exactly (laughs) exactly so um yeah okay um and so you your parents split up when you, you said you were nine? No, when I was 15. No, when you were 15, okay. So yeah, I misheard. So, um, yeah, no, so fairly fairly late on. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. either. It was so funny. No, I mean, again, one of, one of the, no, not funny. But, you know, it's, uh, it's like I was so involved at that point with doing theater yeah. and with being at rehearsal that I was just completely unaware. Uh-huh. And so when they announced it, I was like, 
desperately crushed because mm-hmm. I, it, it, to me, it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. My younger brother was around them all the time and was like, okay, I knew it. That's <laughs> fine. But I was, you know, of course, devastated. And then also being 15 and being in the throes of like all mm-hmm. of your hormonal rage and like yeah. right in the midst of that nice little emo period. Oh yeah. It was, it was de- devastating. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Did, I assume you, you've learned to cope pretty well with that. Has, has that affected you? Like every decision you've made since or how much has that impacted your life? Um, I mean, I think that it, it does affect my relationships with people that I enter into, but other than that, I, I mean, it was really terrible for me for a very long time. Um, specifically, like, my relationship with my mom was really, really hard for a long time. And I think that most girls have that kind of issue. Yeah. Um, but we finally um, kind of crossed that that hurdle when I turned, I think, 20. And she realized that, you know, we could be friends. She didn't have to be my mom and control me all the time. And that was kind of, you know, that was nice. But I think that that really affected a lot of my sort of like high school angst. Yeah. Really was like centered around that and feeling uncomfortable around that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also um, grew up in like a... I mean, I ended up, as I said, I ended up switching schools as soon as my dad moved but the first place that I grew up was very like tennis pro like trophy wife kind of town which I don't okay. I mean I I don't know if you can see me fitting in there but the the short notes on that was I didn't mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like I was like and and then of course everyone knows everyone else's business so everyone knew that my parents were getting divorced and yeah. they knew why which was like very sensitive for me too mm-hmm. and um so I you know like ended up very much isolating myself, I guess, before I ended up switching schools. But I heard some great rumors about myself after I left. <laughs> though. Oh wow! I mean, I had gotten pregnant at that point. I had never slept with anybody. Um, <laughs> I was addicted to drugs. I don't think I had smoked anything or touched anything at that point. Yeah, like it was very That's... like it, people go crazy. Oh, like, for sure. Kids are crazy. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I kind of, like, I revel in that now because it's like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I was that, you know, 16-year-old that everyone thought she dropped out because she was having a baby. But, like, (laughs) really, I just wanted to go perform at another school. (laughs) Super cool, but, you know. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's not awesome. That's a good thing that, like, you you figured out something good to come out of that in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I really entered into um, performing as a way to, like, cope with it. Like, Mm -hmm. ended up throwing myself into it a lot because that was sort of ended up being, you know, a happy, comfortable, accepting place for me when I felt like... Yeah. Nothing else really was, you know? Yeah, specifically, like, high school theater is just full of broken people. So, like... Yes. Like, and I don't mean, like, non-functioning people. I mean, like, people who have been recently traumatized by something or yes. another. Yeah, well, because high school is full of those people. But, yeah. you know, they <laughs> all group together in yeah. one big conglomerate there. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like, do you want to actually talk about your feelings or do you want to push them down? Okay, so that's the theater department. Or the football team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I get very nervous whenever I meet anyone who says, oh, I had a great time in high school. Yeah. I don't trust people. That but... is, well, because then no one should have a great time in high school. No. That's, I saw some, like, silly, you know, Tumblr meme or, or whatever about, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, 
it's like all of these like 14 year old girls on Instagram now are looking wonderful with their contouring kits like mm-hmm. have some respect put on some terrible raccoon eyeliner <laughs> and some blue you know glitter eyeshadow and uh-huh. go through an experience and like you know that's obviously pushing it to an extreme but it is kind of true in a way that it's like no we all suffered through that like awkward phase mm-hmm. like don't don't lie to me and tell me it was great because oh, there's no way <laughs> yeah no no I, I I went from like an awkward um, slightly pudgy skateboarding rat to a scene kit pretty quick and then got out of that also equally as quick but like there was like year period where I would I would wear eyeliner and that was fine yeah um but it was just like just because you just don't know who the hell you are at that point Mm -hmm. I mean I feel like most people still don't know most of who they are um in as much as uh I think people are more than one person and so when you're constantly trying to find yourself I feel like people are like, okay, there's this one thing that is me where it's like, no, you're going to change in two years again. And, you know, yeah. if you keep having this level of crisis every time you do that, you're gonna, that's all you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. It's just having, a, like, continual crises. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, I mean, I feel like if you just, like, sit down and go, okay, I'm going to change, and that's who I am, good. Okay, I'm adaptable, great. Yeah, okay, exactly. Cool. Yeah, um, man, I had a thought, and it went away. All right, um, you do burlesque. What led to that? Um, like I'm not no like I was just genuinely <laughs> so, interested yeah, in yeah. It's, it's how. Like, so um, hi mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> I when I went, when I first moved to New York City, uh, I started doing pole dancing classes right because fuck you mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> I love you now very much. Um, but, um, so I started doing that, and then I realized wow I really love this and I'm actually really good at it. Um, the, and so then the that next natural... is such a rarity in life. I love doing this and I'm good <laughs> right? at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause I'm, you know, I'm pretty like shockingly naturally athletically inclined how I have no idea. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but anyways, so then I actually started, um, working at a strip club. Right on. Um, because I was in a conservatory program from 9am to 7pm and that is not exactly conducive to having a waiting or a bartending job because mm-hmm. the shifts in Boston are from like four until, you know, close. They don't really accept people that are uh, going to be in later than that. Mm-hmm. And you can make your own schedule and you can make some pretty good money. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some days, yes, some days, no, it's, you know, absolute myth that they, that people, that, you know, strippers as people go home with thousands of dollars a night. Yeah. But, uh, because there are some days where I went home with like $18 and you're like, wow, this is terrible. And I feel terrible <laughs> about myself. But it's the same thing as picking people up at a bar. You know, like some days you walk in and you're really feeling yourself and you're like, yes, all of you are mine this evening. Mm-hmm. And then there are other days where you walk in and no one will look at you twice. So yeah. it's very dependent on that. Um, but so that sort of led into foraying into be- being a professional naked person. And then, um, <laughs> yes. And then... Um, I, I sort of came into burlesque a little bit by accident, just sort of more um, wanting to be more an agency of my own performances, like, you uh-huh. know, wanting to be in in control of that. And yeah. also, like, stripping is very much a job, yeah. whereas burlesque is much more of an expression. Yeah. And... Um, so sort of finding fun fun and interesting ways to keep yourself entertained, to keep the crowd entertained. Also, mm-hmm. um, I really love making costumes and things like that. Yeah. So it's sort of all, it all came together into one big thing of, um, you know, me sort of just 
going and sort of throwing myself into that mm-hmm. um, as a thing. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's great. It's just so much fun. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the people in the scene are very wonderful and, and helpful and very, you know, so, like, willing to give advice to people who are not like because there I mean there's obviously a hierarchy here of people who are hired at clubs that are much more exclusive to get into and they are all like I always find those girls so willing to pass on how they got started and how they were learning and and you know tips and tricks and all all of this other stuff so it's it's really very much like a a, a community and that's really you know kind of nice and refreshing because especially you know I feel women in theater get really pitted against each other and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily so much that in the burlesque scene it's very supportive you cool. know and it's like you know also acknowledging the fact that like your art is not my art and you know for me personally like I really love throwing around glitter and mm-hmm. you know using like a lot of rhinestones and spectacle and that kind of stuff yeah some people really love to do like zombie gore where like <laughs> okay. where they like you know take off their clothes and rub fake blood all over themselves yep. that's fine it's not <laughs> what I do but it's what you do hey and like yep. everybody's very supportive in that sense too cool. which is great yeah that sounds I feel like um, with that job description like there's a certain point where you can't like you, you, you gotta be supportive because you're all in this like I'm not going to say, like, compromising situation, but, like, a different situation than most people would find themselves, if that makes sense. And, like, so you kind of have to go in with not being a judgy person. Yeah. Because you're already doing something that is a little um, off the norm. And that's really cool, man. Like, um, I legitimately think that's really awesome that you do that. Um, not just because, like, yay, naked people, even though that's a good thing. You know, naked, yeah, totally. naked people are great. <laughs> but, like, that's a, it's a really, I always, I, I've never gone to a strip club or anything like that because I've never really seen the point because I don't window shop. Right. Um, but, um, but going to, like, a burlesque show would be fun because, like, there's at least, like, some, like you were saying, like, some sort of entertainment and engagement with it. And, yeah. And that sort of thing. And I think... In a weird way, it's like that and stand-up are like the last two ghosts of vaudeville that we have, which yeah, is fascinating. I, mean, I would argue that drag can be lumped in there mm-hmm. as as well. Oh, for sure. Um, but again, it's it's you know it's also just another different sort of thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always, I mean, also, I sort of always started out even when I was working. Um, at the strip clubs that I've worked at, always mm-hmm. sort of viewing that as like a a character study kind of thing. Okay. Um, I mean, I think that there are many ways to sort of not cope with cope. See, like cope has like a negative connotation to it, and I don't want to say that. But there's mm-hmm. many ways to sort of work your way through working in an environment like that. And yeah. I've always viewed it as like playing a part. And like mm-hmm. so, when I started. I was wearing, I had like hot pink hair. Yeah. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to be the stripper with hot pink hair, I'm going to be the stripper with hot pink hair that wears like leopard print and has like chrome pink heels and mm-hmm. only dances to poison all the time. Because that's <laughs> that's who this character is to mm-hmm. me, you know? Um, and then whereas I worked at like a club in New York uh, called Lace, hey Lace, um, in Times Square, and they made me wear like a blonde wig. Uh-huh. So then like the name of my stripper alter ego changed with that and uh-huh. her entire attitude changed with yeah. it because she was a platinum blonde. So yep. she was like, 
a little bit dumb. Yeah. You know, and, and so, like, like that was always sort of the way that I've always treated it, is approaching it as, like, a character kind of yeah. thing. It's, it's basically one long improv exercise. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. you know, people will still ask me, like, oh, like, what's your real name? And I'll be like, oh, you know, it's Dakota for tonight. <laughs> and they're like, no, like, what's your real name? And I'll be like, Emily. And they're like, oh, wow, you really look like an Emily. I'm like, yes, don't I? I know I do. You're right. God, my, you know, generalization, but men are idiots. Like, I mean, I don't know how in general, general are but, kind of idiots, but yes. But it is this thing of like, oh, there's that great Robin Williams quote of like, you realize God gave you a brain and a penis and only enough blood to function one at a time. Yes, very much so. And I think that goes for any sort of engorgement, as it were. Yes. Um, just when people start thinking with their loins, they're just, it's yes. so funny. 100%. Um, yeah. Cause, and it's the most frustrating thing, specifically as, like, I, I think I'm moderately intelligent and, like, well-rounded, but the minute, like, that sort of thing happens to me, I just get angry, because I'm like, I should be better than this. I should be smarter than this yes. right now. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong? Can the we worst not? Is when you, like, l- you know, lose that agency for, like, a night, and then you, mm-hmm. like, wake up the next morning, and uh-huh. you're like, oh, oh. man. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Mistakes yes. were made. I made some choices. Not all of them were strong. Yep. Like... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... So, uh, also, um, do you think, okay, so in regards to your, like, your parents' divorce and stuff, do you mm-hmm. think that made you, I would imagine it would, like, increase the anxiety of just, like, being alive and worrying about, like, people leaving you personally. Is that, had that affected you that way, or? Um, yes. I mean, I think objectively now, thinking about it, mm-hmm. uh, probably much more so. I'm like, um... You know, I, I graduated now, so I'm like a big bad kid that already knows everything about herself, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm sort of like looking back on, you know, mm-hmm. a, like many of my old choices and being like, oh, yeah, that was probably informed by because yeah. I for a very long time. Uh, this is actually the first time that I've not been in a relationship since I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. Yes. That's a hell of a thing. Yes. Um, it's a little bit scary, but it's kind of nice. It was one of those things that sort of came of really needing to find my own independency. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, you know, it's it's hard and it's like scary, but mm-hmm. it, it's you, it's better. Like it has to be hard and scary. Otherwise, I'm going to be crazy and codependent my entire life. Yes. Um, and so sort of now having this time to reflect back on it, it's like, oh, there were a lot of situations in which... I would jump the gun and act so insane so that this person would have to, like, dump mm. me before... Like, I would make them dump me because yeah. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want it to be for a legitimate reason. So if it's because, oh, wow, I'm crazy and anxious and mm. depressed all the time. You don't want to be with me. See, look at how crazy I am. And, like, yep. throwing demonstrations of that out mm-hmm. there. Um, which, at the time, I, you know, legitimately was qualifying in my mind as, like, well, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm too broken for anyone to be with, you know? Yeah. But now I'm thinking about it, and it's like, yeah, well, that was probably just informed by <laughs> me being scared of mm-hmm. actually opening up to people, Yeah, you know? Yeah, that's a, it's a hard thing to do because people are shitty, I guess. Yes. <laughs> uh, this yes. the short answer. It's the spark <laughs> notes on that. Um, but, like, because there is, like, specifically when you're talking about, like, um, 
specifically anxiety and depression because everyone gets bummed out and stressed out people think oh it's just that and it's not because like not everyone wakes up every morning feeling like they've just gone for a run you know what i mean and that can happen and um and that's difficult and i i've i mean i've not done the same thing with like relationships but i have with like friends like you kind of want to induce someone leaving rather than being the bad guy you know what i mean yeah exactly and that's well, because if you can qualify it in, in concrete terms of, like, this person is no longer my friend or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm no longer in a relationship with this person because of this reason, mm-hmm. my anxiety, my depression, mm-hmm. whatever, then it is no longer to do with, like, you. Like, it's not, like, I opened up and I got hurt and it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> which is so hard to reconcile, I feel yeah. like. So it's just easier to, yeah, put it in, like, super concrete terms of, like, yep. Don't worry, I'm a nutbag. It's always <laughs> like this, like which is you know horrible to say. And I, you know, I obviously don't think that way anymore. I was actually having a conversation with um, my friend yesterday about how I've been sort of trying to call myself crazy less because mm-hmm. I used to say that all the time and say what the emotion is that I'm feeling more. Like, I'm mm-hmm. feeling anxious today. I don't know why that is, but mm-hmm. that's how I'm feeling. Or I'm feeling really lonely today. Like, mm-hmm. instead of just using this sort of blanket term that ends up making me feel worse about it. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, like, uh, just in general playing, like, um, doing naming a thing makes it real, you know, I find. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it is just, like, on the extreme it's like well I don't want to be alive today okay now you're dealing with that rather than I just I don't feel I don't know what I'm doing I just feel awful all the time what's going on and then then you add that confusion and stress of like like, because not knowing what's going on causes a lot of fear Mm -hmm. and fear just exacerbates everything I'm going back a little bit to like inducing people leaving and it's also this thing of like when you behave in such a way where people do leave you can also make them the bad guy in your head because then like they weren't strong enough to deal with me yes absolutely. they don't get me you can't handle me at my worst and you don't deserve me at my best exactly thank you marilyn monroe for that (laughs) whereas like at a certain point that is true but also at another point it's like well then uh what's the question is always, what is this person's business? Yeah. Like, because sometimes when you are feeling really bad, you need someone there to go, no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Just so you have, like, an outside voice. But a lot of times it gets in the way of, like, wanting comfort from other people all the time. And then just, like, that's not their job. Yeah. Your, your, your job is to deal with you and make sure you're socially acceptable or if you're not socially acceptable, at least you're amusing about it. That's always been my thing. Yes. <laughs> like, I've noticed it's so frustrating because I, like, I have a lot of anxiety and, like, rapid thoughts. And so I can, like, improvise and be really weird and funny off the top of my head pretty quick. Um, and people like that. But the minute that, turn, that anxiety turns to me going, what? What, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Like people get pissed right because it's all of a sudden now i'm mean and it's like it's coming off as confrontation you know where i'm like it's the same thing why what part of that don't you understand yeah probably a hundred percent of it because we don't talk about this kind of thing right yeah (laughs) no um so being all formal about it um 
I always, like, every time I do this podcast around the 20-minute mark, I always feel like I'm in prison. It's like, what are you in for? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so do you want to speak to that at all? Like, you mentioned you have anxiety and depression. Anything else that goes along with that? Or um, I mean, I uh, have definitely had some issues with sort of um, what, what has been qualified as, like, a, a borderline or bipolar sort of um, emotional characteristic, but it's not something that progressed to that point yet where it needed to be diagnosed or treated. Okay. Um, I um, actually did a, a stint about a year ago, I guess, mm-hmm. almost, in um, in a hospital for a weekend. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, so I, I used to have some really severe self-harm issues when you're free, knock on wood. Yay, I, uh, you know, got my... Kurt Vonnegut tattoo to cover it all up. So Very nice. Stop asking me about <laughs> what was wrong with my arm and, you know, start being like, wow, that's a really cool tattoo, which I think was a really strong move in the right direction. I agree. Um, but that was a very eye-opening experience for me, and I think that's sort of what started to kickstart my whole, like, trying to reframe everything issue yeah. because it was something that was at that point controlling my life so much that I needed to, mm-hmm. you know, have some time away from the real world yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. And um, also being there with people who had much more severe sort of um, dissociative issues than I did was eye-opening in a lot of ways because it can always be worse. Yeah. You know, like there was, you know, a woman that had really strong, like she she was, you know, had been there for, I think, a year or something mm-hmm. like that. And she thought that, like, you know, spies from London were trying to make her do, like, ballerina porn or something like that. It was yeah. very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's like, you know, I don't want to say, like, oh, I'm not you, but, like, it mm-hmm. could always be much more progressed than it actually Oh, is. yeah, for sure. Um, you know? I, I do this when people ask me how I am uh, or I ask them, you know, if they go, I'm all right. Well, I'm like, that's better than terrible. Yeah. Like there's always like it's a progressive scale of like wonderful, great, good, not bad, terrible, dead. Yes. And anything that's not dead, you good. Yeah. Then you're fine. Then yeah. You're fine. <laughs> Just take it one day at a time every day above ground. Exactly. Um, and it is though this thing as well, like uh, when you're talking you touched on something that I really believe in, which is the reframing thing. Mm -hmm. And Carrie Fisher had this wonderful um, notion, which is you have mental illness and mental illness does not have you. Yes. And it's this whole thing that we're getting to in a society of like, you are not your illness. What are your personality? What is your personality? What is, what is um, this thing that is a misfiring thing in your gland that's controlling your entire body. That's Mm -hmm. another thing that Maria Bamford talks a lot about is like, our brains are controlling us, you know, and like we don't like when I when I snap at people, that's like a like it's a it's a reflex or like if right. I make a joke instead of actually answering a question. Once again, it's a reflex like it's like a lot of things you just can't help and you learn to manage it. And I think a big part of it is just like is reframing it and making it like it's not the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, because I guess there are like a, like a lot worse things than just yes. dealing with this. Like you could be, I mean, it's a life threatening illness, but there are worse illnesses to have and it's, 
I don't know. Um, in a weird way, everyone's really lucky in a fi- like five ways that we don't know. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also, in regard, like I've never been like institutionalized or anything like that. Yeah, um, that was I, an experience. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little <laughs> bit more about that. But I always think it sounds really like a stay, like a nice vacation. Because, like, I know for... Because yeah. <laughs> I, I know with what I have, it would be most likely when I'm, like, re- like if I had a full-blown manic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was just, like, oh, wandering around a building making stuff all day. That sounds wonderful. Are you kidding me? Like, talking to a bunch of interesting people and, like, ooh, like, yeah. making a vision board. That sounds fun, <laughs> you know? But... Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, oh man, I made a horrible mistake on my like last day there uh-huh. that um we were making we were making necklaces mm-hmm. uh, because what else is there to do but make pony bead necklaces? And um, <laughs> I went up and I was like I was like I could make like a choker and I held the thing up against my neck. Oh and the, no! The, the poor person that was supervising us was like, please don't do that. And I was like, oh my god, I'm so I like forgot where I was. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> this isn't kindergarten. I'm not five. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Yep. It was like it was. I, I felt so. I've never felt worse. I was like, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to. Uh-huh. You know, because this person is you know thinking that then they're gonna have to you know take me down and put me in like you know a mm-hmm. quiet room or something. Yeah. Um. But no, I mean it was the first. Um, day was really hard. I would imagine. Um, no friends, no new friends. No new friends. Yep. Staying in a room with someone that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, also it was just, it was a very, uh, it's sort of trying process. I mean, I think that it's also made me think in a lot of terms about like the rights of people who get, um, institutionalized and whatnot, yeah. because I, I sort of felt very lied to the entire process. I went to the ER and they told me that I would be able to go home. Mm-hmm. And then someone else came in and woke me up out of a dead sleep that was like the first sleep I'd gotten in like, you know, I think 20 hours or something like that. Yeah. And just instantly started questioning me. And I was like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And that's like all I knew how to say was just like, I just want to go home because mm-hmm. I was so tired and so disoriented. And she was the supervisor. So she, I don't know what she thought I was saying, but she decided that I then needed to be institutionalized. But as they were taking me there, Mm -hmm. they were like, don't worry about it. You know, um, you are going to be able to talk to the psychiatrist the second you get there and he can discharge you straight from there. Mm -hmm. And then I get there and they're telling me that I have to sign myself in for 72 hours. And oh, by the way, weekends don't count. Mm -hmm. So it's a Saturday. So your 72 hours won't start until Monday. Mm -hmm. You do have to pay for Saturday and Sunday though. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course I'm flipping out and I'm, you know, like, no, but I thought that I could talk to somebody right now. And they're like, no, he doesn't come in on Saturdays at all. He mm-hmm. won't be in until Sunday and he probably won't be able to release you until Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I'm now, of course, in the throes of a full fledged panic attack yeah. on top of like not having slept and, and what have you. And, you know, I ended up, um, I did end up speaking to him on Sunday and sort of conveying that I felt very like misled and sort of mm-hmm. lied to almost every step of the way there. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be honest when I say I think that part of the reason why they didn't hold to the 72-hour waiver form that I'd signed, because they basically told me, you know, you can not sign this and then we have to forcibly commit to you, could commit you, but then that's going to look really bad when you yeah. talk to the psychiatrist. You may as well just sign yourself in. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you're right. So yeah. did that and then um, I ended up speaking to him on um, Monday and getting, or on Sunday and getting released on Tuesday. And I'm going to say that I'm probably a solid 80% of why they decided to mm-hmm. let me go other than the fact that I was raising a huge stink about being there and, you know, what have you was um, 
that uh, they started to get really, really overfilled. Mm. There was bad week. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of people detoxing off heroin that week. Uh-huh. So, um, which hey, good for you, man. Yeah. Get rid of that. It was a buddy system just yeah. gone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, so come on, everyone's doing it. Just yeah, stop doing just heroin. Stop doing heroin. <laughs> um, I know my very last day that I was there. Oh my goodness, there was this one nurse that was like mm-hmm. only worked on the week the weeks, so I had mm-hmm. very little interaction with her. But apparently, the other patients that had been there for a while were saying that she liked to just cut patients' meds for no real reason. Mm. And there was this man. I mean, he was huge. Yeah. Like who was being treated with methadone, and she took his dosage down over half. So she went mm-hmm. from like eight to like three or something like mm-hmm. that. And he's like six foot four mm-hmm. and like had clearly been doing some steroids or something as yeah. well. He was a very nice man. I mean, I was talking to him, but he was like, you know, sweating. He's like trying to distract himself. And then finally they're all having a, a meeting um, in like a conference room where everyone can see. And he just starts throwing chairs at the, at the conference room. And then he came over to me. He was like, how are you? And I was like, I'm really, I'm okay. Um, you know, I'm like obviously a little better than you are. Yep. Uh, and it's because like that sort of just, you know, an interesting facet of the system too. And maybe it's that specific place that, it, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. I think that Carrie Fisher's death has been making me think about it a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, Mental health reform is really necessary in a lot of ways, uh-huh. you know? Like, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, like, then, like, thinking about my own experience with it, it's like, oh, my God, like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but overall, I mean, all of the... All of the bad stuff was, was also tempered with sort of good stuff as well. Yeah. Um, you know, ended up meeting some really nice, very interesting people. I would and, hope so. Um Got a lot of reading done, hey. Because uh-huh. <laughs> um, there's not much else to be done. Uh-huh. You know, like just, yeah, just ended up talking with some really lovely people who are also kind of like-minded. Um, mm-hmm. And also going through sort of like a, a healing process, I guess. And that's always a really supportive thing because mm-hmm. it really, I mean, there is no stigma there. We're, yeah. all, we're all here. Yeah. Like we, there's, there cannot be a stigma about yeah. this. You know, absolutely, and um, and and that was uh, kind of nice and kind of refreshing because it feels like you don't have to hide from anybody. Yeah, in a way, because um, mm-hmm. I think that that's what we end up dealing with a lot is like, you know, having anxiety and depression, and everyone's like, "Well, everyone has anxiety and depression." And it's like, no, not 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 quite. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand feeling anxious and feeling depressed is a thing that everybody does go through at some point in mm-hmm. their lives, but, um, you know, when you get to the more clinical sides of it it gets really stigmatized and mm. having a, a, a place where there is no stigma attached to that is a really nice baseline to start with. I yeah. Think, you know, I do. Yeah. Um, and like as much as like, uh, and as frightening as the chair incident must've been, like it's kind of amazing that he was just in a place where he could just do that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I feel this way. I'm expressing it. This is, like, not the best way to do it, but, like... Yeah. I also couldn't blame him. Yeah. Like, I mean, hey, that's not something that should that anybody should have to go through. I mean, yeah. you're already going through withdrawal, and then on top of it... Yeah. ...to then have to, to be forced to go through more, mm-hmm. and without getting a reason for it, then yeah. I'm sure that that's incredibly, like, just so frustrating, and mm-hmm. also... 
I mean, I've never been in that situation. I don't know what withdrawal feels like. Yeah. I'm sure that it's dreadful. Yeah. Like, I've heard of, a lot of bad things about I've it. I've heard, like, rent tells me that it's not great. <laughs> I don't know. That's... <laughs> but, yeah, um, uh, and it's this thing of, I, I feel like the, the biggest mistake that I, I've seen every, uh, the part that makes me wary about, like, getting institutionalized is the lack of communication, like you were saying. Because, like, since since you've been deemed not reasonable, mm-hmm. people don't appeal to your reason in the slightest. Whereas even though, like, I know, I, I can't imagine at any point um, myself not going, okay, well, why? Like, I want to know why. And if you explain it to me, I'll accept it. But, like, if you just do things, then you're behaving like me. Yeah. Yeah, you're coming down to my level and that's not good. That's not, you're yeah. in charge here. Yeah, no, at one point they were, when I was like, you know, flipping out about signing the 72-hour agreement, because mm-hmm. 72 hours seems like forever when you're yeah. put in that position. Yeah. And they were like, do you want to go to a quiet room? And I was like, no, I just want you to tell me what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to know. I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't need any sort of like coddling or any like, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that I cannot stand being treated like a child. Yeah. And I felt like I was being treated like a you know, like a four-year-old that's yep. having a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll put you in timeout and then you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. No, I won't. I'm, you know, 25 years old. I want to talk about this like <laughs> 25 years old. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, like, I, I find that's a lot of the pervasive attitude with just mental illness in general. Like, when you are having, like, a panic attack or, or you are behaving, quote-unquote, badly, that people do end up treating people like children. And that's... Yeah. I don't, like, specifically once you've got a diagnosis and once you've, like, kind of, you know, figured out what's wrong, you just got to turn to your, like, I was talking to a friend the other day and I was like, oh, are you talking more than you thought you were? She's like, yeah. Or are you, like, you have a bunch of really good ideas and you're doing a lot? Okay, you might, you might want to look into that. Yeah. Like, yeah. and that's all this takes, oh, no, that registers, and then you're like, okay. Um, and you just got to... Kind of talk. Knocking things off the walls. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it, it's that same way because, like, people are so... And it, I get why. Because people are so scared about it. Like, because yeah. they don't know how anyone's going to react ever. Um, and so um, what conclusions... What, what events came you to, to the conclusion where, like... Um, where you were talking about, like, uh, how you have exhibited symptoms of, like, borderline and um, bipolar disorder? Um, mostly actually just being told by people, <laughs> really. Like, like doctors being like, no, this is what is going on with okay. you. I don't necessarily agree with it, you okay. know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I certainly... I would say that I probably have more hills and valleys than most, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also just kind of... I've always been sort of like an overtly passionate person Mm -hmm. and a a little bit unpredictable in my emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, not entirely sure what led up to that, but I have never like put it in my head as like, oh, this is borderline or oh, this is bipolar. Mm -hmm. Actually, my first diagnosis with that came with, um, was my senior year of, no, my my senior year, my sophomore year, (laughs) my senior year was like last year, Mm -hmm. Um, my sophomore year of college. Um, where I was having a lot of issues, um, going to my classes Mm -hmm. and, um, I was trying to explain to one of the deans exactly what was going on. And she was like, I understand what you're saying. I need some sort of letter from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, anybody that 
can give me a concrete reason why you feel like you are too anxious to be showing up to class. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having a consultation with someone who I never saw again, Mm -hmm. but she basically wrote a letter to the school and was like, hi, yes, Jessica Barstas is crazy. This is why. Here you go. And that was the first time that I'd ever seen it put in concrete terms like that. Mm -hmm. I think at that moment, it really started to like mess with my head. It doesn't really anymore because I think maybe, you know, the reframing thing we've been talking about or just realizing the fact that like a lot of people find a diagnosis to be necessary. Do you know? And I don't necessarily think that it is. Like I... I would not call myself, like, as I said, yes, I have a lot of hills and valleys. I Mm -hmm. would not qualify that as, like, oh, I'm definitely borderline or I'm definitely bipolar because I have friends that suffer from that, Mm -hmm. and I am not, I I do not identify with that in that way. Um, So... You know, that, but, and then that was, those terms were sort of tossed around to um, last year, and... I think that it's just, like, it's an overwhelming need that people have, especially in the medical profession, to put a name on something. Mm -hmm. So then you can put it in a box and then say, so this is what we do to help this. Yeah. And that is good in a way, Mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, I I don't, I think that if I were to be the kind of person that they were then to put on, like, um, any sort of medication for that. I think that Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person that would suffer from that. That's fair. Personally. Um, I mean, I have gone through, um, medications for anxiety and for depression Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And I completely respect the people that it definitely helps and Mm -hmm. who definitely feel as though they need it. For me, it made me feel very numb to the world and mm-hmm. to sort of everything, and it made me very apathetic. Yeah. And perhaps it's because it's the wrong combination of things mm-hmm. or, you know, what like what have you, but I did not find myself feeling as though I was benefiting, benefiting from it at all, and especially not in my artistic pursuits, because mm-hmm. then I was noticing that, you know, sort of all of the art stuff that I was doing was suffering. Yeah a ton because I was just sitting around feeling apathetic about everything. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? Yeah, um, I'm a huge advocate for um, labeling things just so, because I know for me it helps me deal with it because then I can go, oh, this is this symptomology from this part of what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. But then there are also things that are just part of who you are as a person that you can't explain really other than it just either... It came from your past or, or whatever, um, but um, I understand what you're saying and I respect it, even though you and I don't necessarily agree on this matter. Yeah. Because, like, and it's what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. Like, yeah. everyone is different. Um, and because my sister's the same way, generally, is like, she's a little bit more like, I kind of don't want to put a name on it because and it's hard as well with with as much social stigma as there is with it because when I come up to people and I'm like hi I'm Tristan I do this whole bit in my stand-up it's like it makes dating difficult of like um do you go up to uh, when you tell them do you go up to a person and go hi I'm bipolar I'm uh, sorry hi um can I get you a drink I'm bipolar can you can get it to go like that kind of thing right mm-hmm. because it is like there's this thing of like when you say that people go oh no I'm going to treat you differently when you shouldn't because like in the in the interim you've treated me well 
presumably, and I'm the exact same person as I was five right. minutes ago before yes. I told you this thing. So I understand it, and there's a lot of weirdness with that, and I that's more frustrating than people not putting labels on things for me. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, so if you, we accept the labels, then I understand when people, then I'll be like, then everyone should be doing this. But, yeah. it, but the, as it stands now, no, it's fine. Um, and in regards to med- medication, um, I hear you. I'm not on anything. Yeah. Um, and as long as you learn to manage it, it doesn't matter how. Like, it's kind of like acting that way. It's like, it doesn't matter how you get there. As long as you get there, it's okay. Yeah. Um, Like, and that kind of goes for, like, even because there are some people who suffer from anxiety and they just do yoga and they feel better. And I'm like, how do you do that? I cannot. Yeah. I I, I cannot yoga. (laughs) I refuse. I cannot yoga. Um, Excuse me. It's okay. I'm going to yoga away. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. Uh, But yeah, because, and it, and it's it's completely different for, for the individual and, and that's fine is what I'm saying is you're fine for saying that it's okay. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And, and as a response, I'm sorry, I was just like listing off the things that I thought of when you were talking, um, in response to like, you know, people with those diagnoses and you have things where you don't identify with and like um my response to that was like it depends on the symptomology some people are like it it comes out in different ways because of personality that's true like um i know people who are really anxious and are really really confrontational and angry and mean and it's mark maron that i'm thinking of (laughs) um he's learned to manage really well (laughs) but like it's this thing of like yeah he's an anxious person he's like what all the time and Mm -hmm. so because of that people are like oh he's kind of abrasive whereas like Someone like Robin Williams was incredibly anxious, but so warm about it. Right. And it yes. depends on who you are and how you cope and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm not saying you're you're wrong, but take that into consideration, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess part of it, too, was I felt like there was a diagnosis because there had to be a diagnosis because otherwise I was going to be failing sort of thing. Do yeah. You know what I mean? And so that, mm-hmm. so that, I mean, maybe that's why it has felt less valid to me and maybe if I were to revisit it that it might be different but yeah you know yeah have, has anyone also like used a diagnosis as like a slur at you or like uh to justify your bad behavior towards them or oh yes okay. yeah I mean and you know to be fair like it, <laughs> it's not as though they were necessarily like uh not justified in doing so yeah. you know because when someone I was talking about this the other day too uh-huh. someone feels the need to yell i'm not crazy they are probably being crazy <laughs> at that moment in time <laughs> like you can say you can put like 90 percent hedge bet on that yeah um and so the likelihood is i mean i was probably acting not quite right at mm-hmm. that moment and you know and that's fair and that's fine and that's a valid thing it mm-hmm. doesn't help maybe to have somebody hurl it at you as like a you know you're acting crazy right now like mm-hmm. that that because that will also never yeah. cease to incense people like and make it 10 times worse it's the ultimate version of well just calm down yes and you're like yeah yeah yes exactly um and i think so you know, it's, it's it's not that they're they were not valid in their statements, but yeah. it certainly doesn't help matters <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing. Okay, so once again, um, I, I 
haven't been, I haven't talked much about Mark Mare in a while. I guess I'm going to talk mention twice in one episode. Woo! Ooh. Yeah. Um. He. Uh. Last time I checked, was dating a a woman that works with autistic children. Mm-hmm. Um. And it, he goes, it's really great because when I'm acting out the way I do, she can respond in like a way sure. that makes sense. Yeah. And the the best thing is. So she will literally look at me and go, that must be really uncomfortable for you. Oh, God. <laughs> and he goes, that just kind of shuts me down because yeah. it's like, oh, this person's being empathetic and I want to fight. Yes. And I feel like that is the, oh, that must feel blah for you. And if someone goes, no, it's not that, it's this. And you go, oh, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. And then they're expressing themselves and they're no longer just... Volatile. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it diffuses the situation really quick. And I wish... More people. It's the easiest thing in the world. It, yeah. It's the easiest thing in the world. And I don't know why people don't do more of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And <laughs> that's it. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything. Well, um, do you think um, being from where you're from also had anything to do with like your reaction to that because I would imagine people like people out here have a reputation of not being very um subtle if that true, makes sense true um you know I think I was lucky enough that when I was dealing with that I was going to a school where they were not necessarily the most sensitive all the time and there was certainly a lot of sort of interclass um, mm-hmm. competition and, and what have you but the teachers were all always very understanding yeah. because they they are also all involved in the field and they know how sensitive it is to deal with to be dealing with emotional issues while also trying to get in touch with your emotions mm-hmm. as part of your training mm-hmm. you know because I, I mean like oh man when I went through Meisner it was like I, mm. I know, damn near killed me um, because mm-hmm you know trying to get in touch with those emotions was just too it was too much mm-hmm. um and that specific teacher d- did not love that response from me because you know then he felt as though I wasn't trying but then I you know met with him and sort of was like listen like this is actually making me feel really unhealthy right now mm-hmm. like it keeps you know trying to force myself into all of these sort of sense memories of these times where I have not felt wonderful mm-hmm. is making me not feel wonderful yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And putting it in terms of that makes yeah. someone understand. And, you know, I was lucky with um, going through my um, senior year as well that, you know, my teachers were very, very supportive of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I've been, you know, very, my musical theater teacher, bless her soul. She's like this <laughs> tiny little woman. Everyone who's ever gone to the school has like a an impression of her. Mm-hmm. She's like, like four foot six, maybe, if mm-hmm. that. And she talks like, she has this like terrible stammer. And she's like, like you finish a song, she's like, nee, Salem, how'd you do? And you're <laughs> like, I don't know, Fran, how did I, tell me, tell me how I did. She's <laughs> like, well, how do you think? And just the most uncomfortable thing. <laughs> but um, I emailed her specifically when I, um, I had my little um, stint, we'll call it, and um, mm-hmm. and she was so funny because I had never seen her necessarily as being incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. She emailed me back and she was like, "What's going on? Do you need help? Do you mm-hmm. need me to come and get you? What can I do for you?" Mm-hmm. And it was like, and and so 
it's a very like all of the teachers are sort of like a very strong community and a strong resource for the students in that way, which mm-hmm. was, you know, definitely refreshing because it was sort of unexpected for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yes, not subtle afterwards, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. one of those things. But you kind of have to be an open book about it because if you're going to be sharing your emotions with people in a way that is believable, I feel. I mean, this mm-hmm. is my personal take on it. You have to sort of be an open book mm-hmm. and you have to be willing to go to the places that you think are safe for you to go. Yeah. You know, and as of right now, that is a safe place for me to, to go and to access and to tap into. And so it didn't really bother me that much. Okay. You know? Yeah. I think that's a good place to end because yay safe spaces and stuff like that. Yay. Um, and <laughs> in regards to being an open book, well, thank you for being on this because yeah. it takes a lot of gumption and grit to kind of like it's, I've been using the word, the term out yourself because it is like, it's kind of similar to the, I would imagine that experience. I've never been gay yet. We'll see. <laughs> There's still time. Uh, yeah. I still got like, I've seen beginners. I know. <laughs> Um, but thank you for being on. I'm Bridget Cosgrove. I'm Tristan Miller. Tell me, Tristan, how do you feel about history? I mean, I like it, except for it's the most boring thing I've ever experienced in my whole entire life, and I want it to stop. Hmm. If only there was a way that we could make you feel better about that. Yeah, like if it was, like, funny and engaging and interesting with two people I really like. Yeah, you know, I think I might have solved your problem. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's our own podcast, Blank History Month. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, it's great. When does it come out? Uh, every Wednesday. Oh, I'll do that then. Yeah, it'll be great. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, bye. Bye. (laughs) Death. Hello, I'm Tristan Miller. And I'm Miles Newman. Hey, Tristan, do you like movies? No, I think they're all garbage and bad and we should stop making them. If there was only some way for me to experience new movies, but I don't like going to the movies or watching movies. I want people to describe movies to me. So you want like an audio medium where someone will send you, Uh like regularly send you a description of Uh of better movies than the ones being made, like cooler, more like sexy Movies. Yeah, that sounds like an ideal situation. How could I do that? I think I have a solution to your problem. What's it? Let me pitch this at you. Wink! Elevator pitch. Oh, what's that? It is a podcast where two best friends... Oh, who are they? Are they us? It's me and you. We're best friends. We pitch fake movies at each other and see who comes up with a better movie that week. And the loser has to spend uh, spend uh, the time until the next show uh, in an elevator. 
Oh god. Yeah. Uh-huh. Elevator pitch comes out every other Friday. Going up! <laughs>